Body Conversation, Podcast 3, Keto, etc., etc. We know that the long-standing calories in, calories out formula is in retreat. Today, nutrient manipulation is the star. This makes keto the diet to discuss. Of course, keto is Atkins, which was so popular 15 years ago that bread and pasta factories suffered financially. But of course, only for a short time, and then they roared back with their own manipulation. Hello, gluten-free. Food manufacturers love this. Slap a new label on a box and more sales follow. There are only three food groups, so this takes creativity. Renaming an old one with a few twists is the game. Financially, it's good, but bodies and minds just get more damaged. Atkins was preceded by the Scarsdale diet. And then before that, in 1964, was the drinking man's diet. Photos of sexy Dean Martin as the spokesman guaranteed success. The book became a bestseller and sold two and a half million copies. It was translated into 13 languages. Same old, same old. Yesterday's mashed potatoes, I say, and who wants those? Except potatoes are verboten in keto and its predecessors. Today, this high fat, high protein diet operates in a climate where almost everyone is fat and diabetes and prediabetes is as common as the common cold. This enables the gurus and their followers to look back on the low fat period and blame it for all our obesity ills. Atkins was in a climate where people still thought that dieting was doable and weight loss could be whatever number they wanted. Focus groups have proved that the typical dieter would rush through the book, in fact, skip the science and go straight to the menus and the list of approved foods, which were always the all-you-can-eat variety. Binge on. But today's keto converts are very involved in the science. Being on this diet is to enter into relationship with others, not support in the old sense, but see how smart we are? Join us. See how we can bandy about terms like grams and macros. Here's what I found online from a keto lover trying to proselytize others. Quote, being on a modified keto diet, I was aiming for around 70% fat, 25% protein, and 5% carbs. If you follow this plan as I did, it translates to a certain amount that's really number of calories of each macronutrient and therefore grams of each macronutrient you need every day to reach your goal. I can't remember my exact numbers, but it was something like 220 grams fat, 70 grams protein, and 30 grams carbs per day, end quote. I've read this several times and still can't figure out what it means, particularly since we don't use the metric system here. Are we really able to calculate 220 grams of fat? Isn't the reason for these get rid of an entire food group diet is that there is no need to count calories, 
So why the cowrie reference? The choices are so limited that one ends up eating less on the actual diet until the resulting binge. Maybe this is really a grammar issue. The adjective fewer is practically dead in these United States as a result of decades of diet talk. Here's what we should know. Fewer and less are adjectives, so they modify nouns. The word less modifies singular nouns, while fewer modifies plural nouns. So we eat less food and we consume fewer calories. But here's the confusing part. We can eat less and consume more calories. Keto high fat lovers and all the others trashing carbohydrates, such as the calorie myth, talk about how awful it was to eat low fat because the dieter ate less. No, the dieter ate more, more bites, more quantity, because good carbohydrates are calorically low. Celery and spinach, or what they call non-starchy vegetables, are calorically light. Even the evil ones like bread and candy are bite for bite much lower calorically than avocado or steak. Is the success of the popular program The Calorie Myth due to the subtitle, which is eat more and exercise less. Really, low-fat diets demonize everything enable the eater to eat more bites. Even going back to Weight Watchers in 1963, where dieters weighed and measured the food for their low-calorie meals, there was always, always a long list of free foods, things you could stuff in your mouth so that you could continue the hand-mouth activity that got you in trouble in the first place. The calorie myth program tells people they don't have to starve themselves any longer. Do they actually believe that people starve on 1,200 calories? The cover-up is Dieters never follow the diet menus for more than a couple of weeks. The diet rules are impossible. Yes, everyone talked about 1,200 calories, but the subsequent binges were double or even triple the diet calories. These high-fat diet programs, whatever the specific names, are offensive because they denigrate real starvation and encourage real gluttony. The calorie myth tells the public to stretch their stomach. This is the opposite effect of stomach surgery, which is to reduce the size of the stomach, to reduce it to the size of a toddler's stomach. Stomach surgery solves the gluttony issue. So diets today encourage gluttony, even though most people think that gluttony is a sin. And stretching your stomach is the way to never feel full. Of course, you are stretching it with the approved foods, but physically making the stomach container bigger is the stupidest strategy for people who live in a country of unlimited cheap food. That's the United States. We may soon have food shortages, but we won't have a famine. In the ancient days, which they glorify, the hunter found food and ate as much as possible. And then maybe he didn't eat for a while if he couldn't kill an animal. 
Or maybe he ate living fruits and berries and roots that didn't fight back. Regardless, the approved foods on these diets will become tiresome, and then we're back to chips and pizza and cookies. But then your huge stomach, which you stretched on the approved foods, is ready to accept a big binge of those foods you crave. Of course, practically everyone is hungry in America because of hormone issues, caused by stretching the stomach and getting fat. They're not physiologically hungry. Our hungry people have onboard calories since they are toting around 30 to 50 extra pounds. Their brain is not getting the message they don't need food. This is what the food industry worked so hard to achieve. It was their wet dream. They have never hidden this goal. In The End of Food, a book by Paul Roberts published in 2008, the author, a well-known journalist, interviews the executives of the major food companies. They said things like, quote, we thought we had reached the limits of the American stomach, but not so. Hurrah! Of course, the author, a typical wellness bitch for whom every food is the good and bad, focuses on how these foods are addictive because of their ingredients, as if we had never had sugar, salt, and fat before 2000. The diet bills tells the public what they want to hear. Quote, it's not your fault and you did nothing wrong. If you'd only known about this, insert diet name, healthy diet, everything could be fine. But the industry knows that the dyer, the failed dieter, does feel it's their fault. They prove this by going back to the same diets. People have written blogs about doing Weight Watchers 20 times. I've heard people say that Atkins worked for them before, so they will do it again since they gained back the weight, as if the weight went on vacation and then just came back. So new diets trash older ones, but the diet biz knows the dieter who fails still believes it is their own fault. Guilt is a very powerful sales tool. Okay, let's get down to how we can fix the problem. Begin with the facts. No one got fat because they sat down to a nicely set table and had a meal of steamed potatoes and steamed fish and steamed spinach. Or they sat at the same table and they ate some steak and salad and no potatoes. Neither of these hypothetical eaters would ingest more than 30 bites in a well-proportioned meal. Bites? What do they have to do with the price of peas? Obviously, no one thinks about bites. It's only the most obvious measurement. Certainly grams aren't, not even pounds and ounces. Because when you eat outside of your kitchen, you are served the food prepared by someone else. It's their decision how much you're getting. And also, what about the beverage? Equally as important as the food selection. Guaranteed there will be no alcohol. Usually water is the suggested liquid. It's not a beverage. Yes, water will wash away any possible flavor. Perfect to encourage more food eating and buying and stomach stretching. No mention of dessert to signal the end of eating. That's not good. 
We want Americans to snack in an hour. Snacking is really good for the economy. So we are pitting a major diet manipulation, low fat, against the opposite, high fat. And of course, each camp wants to prove theirs is better. Today, they have to tiptoe around the fact that no diet will advertise you can lose more than two pounds a week. It's just not kosher to promise more. That's why it's all about health, of course. You can't lose much weight, so you have to become healthy fat. Of course, the low fat diet didn't make us fat. People are fat because of the dieting dance. Cortisol and free radicals are elevated by torching the calories with abusive exercise. I love this torching phrase. It seems because they, the exercises are sweating and getting hot that there's a fire inside and this fire burns away the flab. Such creative imagery they employ. In a country with practically unlimited and very cheap food, dieting leads to binging. All diets enable snacking, which is really good for the economy and which encourages hand-mouth behavior. But it also encourages garbage. I live in upscale Chelsea, and the streets are littered with garbage by 10 a.m. No one here can walk a block without some container with a snack. Maybe these containers should be eatable, too. I guess it's edible. Then we can get more fiber and stretch our stomachs even more. Let's focus on binging. Maybe if people ate what they want, whatever tastes good in their own mouth, they may not feel deprived. I'm not going to tell you to eat kale because I don't know how it tastes inside your mouth. I don't know your palate. I don't even know your binge food. This is complicated. Years ago, I was shopping in a downscale supermarket, a place to buy household cleaners and paper goods at cheap prices. I saw a woman I knew and her cart had eight boxes of cheap ice cream. She was obese. Much later, she had surgery and now she's not. She was also wealthy and sophisticated and knew everything about nutrition. She's, she seemed to have memorized New York Times columnist and chief wellness bitch Jane Brody's nutrition Bible. But she also binged until her surgery. Now let's talk excessive alcohol consumption. First thing women ask me is, can you drink on 80 bites? I know women who know everything about nutrition and have the money to buy the best or organic food and eat in the best restaurants are they thin? No, because they drink a bottle of wine a day. A diet will not reduce alcohol consumption, and that is a major cause of obesity. Look at where the weight is distributed on the body, and it's obvious where the extra calories are coming from. If you did download the 80 Bytes app, you may be surprised at what quantity is suggested. It's about a third less than what a typical restaurant plate contains. At a five-star restaurant, however, the servings are of the 80 bites size. But since you need a second mortgage to pay the check, and you probably couldn't get a reservation anyway, few will have the opportunity to sample a level of quality that satisfies without excessive quantity.
Today there are 50 bites on a typical plate, and if you look around, you will see the people eat this number of bites without any problem. Before we stretch the stomach container, when a host would offer more food, people would say, it's delicious, but I can't eat another bite. That was an exaggeration, of course, but nobody wanted more. They had cigarettes to put in their mouths. More to think about. Parents who are always miserable, miserable because of their failed diets will complain and complain. Their kids hear that misery. They don't hear positive messages. They don't learn how to eat, how to orchestrate a meal so that one food buffers another. They hear only about good, bad foods, so the guilt is passed on to a new generation. Buffering? Does anyone even know this term? Do they understand why peanut butter goes with jelly and milk goes with cookies? Read the wisdom from the U.S. government's public health experts who are concerned about childhood obesity. Their solution is that parents should teach their kids about nutrition. These parents who have binged and failed and are fat, but it sounds important because an expert is saying it. In 1977, when I became pregnant with my first child, I went to my doctor, a very well-known Park Avenue obstetrician. I'm five foot six and I weighed then 114 pounds. I was told, do not gain more than 24 pounds. And I didn't. But my doctor didn't have to worry about me complaining about this restrictive directive on Facebook. About five years ago, the New York Times, the prestigious New York Times, published a front page article about how obstetricians were so unnerved by the new guidelines for obese patients. The new advice was not to gain weight. They were quoted saying that this went against everything they had learned in medical school. Do you know your favorite celebrity mom may have gained 40 pounds? because now being pregnant is a license to binge, particularly for these women who have to stay thin. The camera adds 15 pounds. But yet, these babies whose mother overgained are born with more fat cells. Will people downsize quantity? We will have food shortages, so there may be no other option. As for eating healthy, no one knows what that is. For 80 biters, quality is knowing how to orchestrate a meal for satisfaction. Which brings me to my Thanksgiving story. Pretend I invite somebody for Thanksgiving. Everyone knows the traditional meal components. Everybody except vegans or raw food types. So I say, oh, the menu will be turkey, french fries, sliced tomatoes, and ice cream for dessert at which point the person is really upset and practically yells, what about the cranberry sauce? What about sweet potatoes and stuffing? What about mushroom gravy? What about pumpkin pie? And on and on. Because people do know what comprises a meal, and if they can stop doing these dopey diets, they will lose weight naturally and, and get back to enjoying food. Eating and enjoying, but not talking about it. So here's the tip. Stop crossing your legs when you are seated.
but look at all those who do, particularly yoga and Pilates teachers and personal trainers. Next podcast is about these exercise junkies. Bye-bye.